You're listening to the Vibrant Happy Women podcast, episode number 185. We're talking about how to up-level your energy. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Riday, former burned-out mom of six turned happiness whisperer. And I'm here to help you get off that hamster wheel and make time for yourself without the guilt so you can live a balanced, calm, heart-centered life. With over 2.5 million downloads, this is the Vibrant Happy Women podcast. Hey, friends, welcome to Vibrant Happy Women. I'm glad you're here because we all want to feel more vibrant and happy. And today's interview, today's episode is going to help you with that because we're talking about energy. I know we all have days when we wake up and feel on the low energy side of the equation, and we have to have some built-in tools to help us shift that. In this interview, I talk a lot with the guest, Rashri Patel, all about breathing and movement. She says in, in this interview that energy equals movement. And think about that. When you're at your lowest energy, if you just force yourself to move, perhaps turn on a favorite song blast that music by the end of the first song or two, you're going to be feeling so much more amazing because you'll naturally start to move. Energy equals movement. Therefore, when we're low energy, all we need to do is move and our energy will increase. Really, really cool. Now in this interview, you also hear a lot about the breath and how is it a, it's a powerful way to connect beyond ourselves with something greater, which she calls vital force. I love that there are so many words we can use to describe that higher power, that collective consciousness, that source, that intelligence, the universe, God, all of these words help us describe an experience we're having with something bigger than ourselves. And I think we can all relate to each other, even though the words might be different. So you're going to have a lot of deep thoughts during this episode. I certainly did. Lots of nuggets of wisdom. It's probably one you're going to want to listen to multiple times because of that. But I do promise you're going to learn something important for you. You're going to have a whisper of your next best step so that you can up-level your energy. So let's go ahead and dive in. I'm chatting with Rajshree Patel, who was a prosecutor working for the U.S. District Attorney's Office when a chance meeting with a spiritual master changed the direction of her life. She went from practicing criminal law and advocating prison to practicing universal laws and advocating freedom and fulfillment. Oh, I love that. So (laughs) Rajshree has traveled to more than 35 countries and taught thousands of people through programs designed to enhance human potential and self-acceptance. She is the author of The Power of Vital Force. Welcome to the show, Rajshree. Thank you so much, Jen. Happy to be here. Now, I'm so glad you said I could call you Raj because I'm going to. (laughs) I understand. Please. Perfect. Okay. So Raj, share your favorite quote with us. I think my favorite quote of all is the universe rewards action, not thinking. It's gotten me through anything and everything. I just remember it and I know, get out of my head and get into action. That's a great quote. And it makes me immediately think about the lawyers I know. Yes, they're action takers, but they're also smart and 
thinking oriented. They're really into the analytical, logical mind. So I find it fascinating that you met essentially a guru or or a spiritual teacher who changed all of that for you. So tell us that story of how you changed paths completely. So yes, to your point, law means sitting there doing all the nitty gritty analysis, thinking, strategizing, planning. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's essential. But over the years, what I've really realized is if you want to succeed or you want to have a sense of fulfillment, you've at some point got to just get in the game and move. And for me, I was lucky. I wasn't looking for anything. I wouldn't have even thought to say, oh, wow, I got to look at myself or inner world because I had that traditional left brain thinking. I'm from India, so it's a very pragmatic approach, especially if you leave your homeland and you come to another country and you make that your new home. The first reason you come is, of course, for opportunity and success. And that means doing all the right thinking and the hard work. So I wasn't looking for it, but I happened to see a sign that said Pandit Ravi Shankar, who at the time I thought and was there was this famous sitar player from India. And thinking I'm going to a music concert, I went and only after arriving at the location, I realized, oops, wrong kind of music, wrong thing. But I was curious. <laughs> and, and I think that that's another huge quality in life, just to be curious and open. And so I decided to stay and say, okay, the universe brought me here. Oftentimes, I feel like if we're open, what's needed comes to us. And maybe this was that moment. I can't be sure, but I stayed. And curiosity led me to an incredible journey. 35 years later, here I am with you. Yeah. Wow. I love that. So you completely gave up law quickly or was it a slow process? I think in the beginning, it was just pure greed because I did this nine hour course, you know, breathing and meditation and a little bit of self-awareness. I walked in Monday morning with a whole new set of perspective. Like my eyes were looking out through a different set of glasses. And, and what I really mean is if it took me four hours, which it did to put a case together, you know, witnesses and defense attorney and courtroom and judges, it's chaos in a courtroom. It's not quite like what we see on TV. There's so much going on in our mind, or at least my mind, was kind of caught up in, is this right? Is this wrong? Oh my God, did I make a mistake? Especially I was a fairly new attorney on the scene and it's a public arena. So I just noticed that if it took me four hours to put everything together, I had boiled it down to like quarter the time, maybe an hour. And I wasn't caught up in other people around me. I was just really just present and aware of what was in front of me using and doing the best that I knew at the moment, rather than trying to sort of keep up with the Joneses in the courtroom. And so that made me say, oh my God, if nine hours can do this, what else is in this? Because for me, I don't know your journey in, in that way, but inner landscape and looking at myself as a source and the power to do all that I wanted to do was very new. Although I come from India, you know, there's this belief like, oh yeah, probably they meditate in India, but it's quite the opposite for me. I had no idea. And so I just said, well, I got to look more, see what else is there. And then I went to a silence retreat and that started to say to me, there's another way to live. It wasn't that it was all of a sudden, but what was all of a sudden was this notion 
with a door opening that says, I get to choose how I want to live. It's not about in India, which is you can be a doctor, lawyer, and an a engineer, which is the direction you sort of guide it to. Mm-hmm. It's not about what everybody does I need to do. It really became about me starting to ask myself the questions. What is it that I really want? I loved law. I loved being in a courtroom, but it felt as if I had just fallen into the beaten track. And now I had awakened to asking myself, what matters to me? Where do I come in? And who really am I in the direction I want to take? And then I'd say a year down the line, I quit law. I went to India thinking I would just go for two months. Let's see, explore. And that two months led to five years in India. And now 35 years later in that journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance. Two months. That's amazing. So you were in India. And what did you learn there? I actually went to the Institute of the Master that I had accidentally landed in front of, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. And I started to do programs initially for myself, as I said, of meditation, breathing, ancient wisdom from India, where they start to point out what today we call positive psychology in terms of really what makes our mind optimize and what drags our mind down. It's a conversation no one has with us, right? It's not something we're taught in school or at home or through the media. I mean, today it's a different world. Look, what you're doing, the podcast you're doing is really how to up-level our life, our mind and our inner landscape. But certainly back in 89, 88, this was not a conversation. And so initially I started with, let me see what's in it for me. And as I continued, I realized I was starting to make a difference in other people's lives. And then I went through training and learning and and so on and so forth. And I still continue to do that with the same master. And then next thing you know, I was off setting up courses and programs on the art of living through meditation, through breathing, through really understanding our mind and how to optimize it. So you took all of that wisdom and everything you've been teaching over the years and distilled it down into a book. Tell us about the power of vital force. I feel like it is the thing that got me through the journey of writing. Before I just tell you about the book, a little bit about the process of writing for me was I hate writing. So as I said, I'm from India. I was born in Uganda. So English is a third language. When I came to this country, I was 10, 10 and a half years old. I didn't speak a word of English and I was dropped two grades from the eighth grade to the sixth grade. And as you can imagine, it has its impact on questioning yourself, somehow not understanding the whole thing of dropping two grades was about, well, what's wrong in this picture? What am I not doing correctly? Oh, am I not smart enough? Whatever. Those kind of questions that a young person would have started to run through my system. And to make matters worse, as I went through high school or college or for that matter, law school, I noticed my lowest grade would be in writing because, of course, by the time you're 10 and a half, all the grammar and punctuation and so on and so forth has gone past. And it was just a belief system, a resistance for me. And so that reared its ugly head in the process of writing last year. And then to add to it, there were so many personal challenges. I had three major pipe leaks. So I had to move out of my house for a year. I don't know if you've ever been through a remodel 
It's the worst possible thing to do in life, in my opinion. It's the worst. You open one thing up and you open up a can of worms. My mother was ill. She lost her eyesight and financial crisis in my husband's business. There was just so many things going on. And everything in my head was screaming, okay, stop the writing. You don't need to do this because it was a leap for me. It's not something I've done. I'm used to being in front of people, sharing, talking, answering questions, giving a lecture, workshop. That was easy. I'd been doing it for 35 years, but sitting down to write was something I resisted. And what I had to do is what I really do anytime I get into a a bind in life, which is, you know, just this metaphor of keep pedaling the bicycle. Because if you stop pedaling the bicycle, you fall off. If you keep pedaling, even if it's slow, it doesn't matter. And that means action. It goes back to my original motto, universe rewards action, not thinking. If you keep in some kind of movement, some action, that's been my case, I find everything goes behind me and I'm suddenly looking at things in front of me. So that was my journey. And amazingly enough, in eight months, I submitted the manuscript to Hay House. So there's a lot to be said about just keep going and the universe will back you and get behind you. And the book is exactly about what we're discussing. We know everything in life is energy. We know everything requires energy. We know that energy and movement are synonymous, whether it's movement physically, kinetically, or movement emotionally and mentally. If we're stuck in a mindset and we want to get out of it, or if we're stuck in an emotional state that's negative, anger, frustration, judgment, whatever it is, and we want to move out of it, we need energy. But we've never connected the dots because we think of it from the caloric point of view or coffee or sugar or adrenal or or some other substance. And Vital Force talks about the innate source of energy that we're surrounded in, that we're moving in, that's limitless. And if we access that, then we shift, move our emotional state, we move our mental state, we move our physical state, and of course, our spiritual state. We up-level all aspects of us. And so that's what the book is about, full of wisdom, tools, tips, techniques, self-learning exercises, and so on. So what do you mean exactly about tap into that energy? Or I'm not sure what words you used. Repeat those once more and explain kind of an overview of how it's done. Sure. So I think that maybe I have to go back a little bit. When we're born, we see that we're born with an enormous amount of, we could say energy, but what I'm calling vital force or life force. It's an innate source of life. It doesn't depend on anything. It's not coming from food. Barely take mother's milk at a two years age or whatever. They take mashed potato or a carrot or pea. There's no coffee. There's no stimulant. There's no sugar. Yet you see the power, the raw power in a child can fill a room with just a tiny gurgle or the laughter the steadiness with which they look, the confidence they have, the sense of self-acceptance, love, care, connection, all the positive things we want is an indication of that life force, of that energy. And that isn't something we're born with and that's it. We don't do anything about it. It's a rechargeable battery. We have to connect to it. 
We have to invite it. We have to access it. We have to know that it's there. In a sense, I'm saying we have to build a relationship to it. And a relationship begins with just the first simple thing, which is awareness that, wait a minute, in me and around me is a force beyond just air and space. Yes. And okay. in fact, yeah, it's this universal force field or intelligence. And we kind of look around physically at ourselves and our environment. Okay. There's space in front of me. Okay. There's air in front of me, but at kind of like the below the quantum level, there's another force, another sense of dynamism and intelligence and a source of love. And if we invite it, if we connect to it, if we recognize its presence, then we up-level it because that's all it says it's needed. And and Vedanta or the wisdom of India, and, and we certainly know about it in Buddhism and many traditions, breath is one of the fastest way to access it, to connect to it. It's true, it's CO2 and O2 exchange, but those are physical, measurable particle gases. I'm talking about the sub-sub-atomic level or quantum level where we know we're born with this intelligence, we're born as love, we're born as power, we're born in self-acceptance, but that gets veiled and covered through events and particle thinking, if you will, Newtonian thinking, where we get locked into beliefs and assumptions. Does that make sense? Yes. And my mind is immediately thinking of all the many words that the world has created to describe this vital force. You have the word source, universe, higher self, God. Do you believe those words are talking about the same thing as vital force? How are those connected? A hundred percent. I think that it's a force that's hard to sort of come up with one name or noun for. And so we mm -hmm. say everything from source to life force, to consciousness, to God, to innate intelligence, to sometimes we call it chi. Star Wars mm -hmm. calls it the force. And you know, as you see Kung Fu Panda and I don't know, the matrix, right? It's the governing principle of life itself. And the truth is, everything is governed. If you look at nature, the plant kingdom or animal kingdom or the planets and the cosmos, everything has an innate and an incredible amount of intelligence. Things move the way they're planned. A lion eats once and sleeps, thank God, because that's <laughs> the safety of the forest, right? Yes, yes. And if the planets were a centimeter off, everything would implode. Everything is governed. The right trees grow in the right place. The right fruit grows in the right environment. And we see that it serves people who live there. Similarly, we as human beings are part of that matrix, that inner unseen force that is a governing principle, and we don't access it. And we could call it energy. Or we could call it intelligence. We could call it God. And if I were to define God, it's that energy which generates activity in life, that energy which operates once that life is created, and then that energy which destroys, or we could say transforms what's in front of us. So that for me is God. And it is a loving force. It's not an inanimate mechanical thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we remember that. We remember our name our gender, our race, our religion, our likes, our dislikes, 
our fights, our events, all kinds of things. But I don't think we really ever like finish brushing our teeth, look in the mirror as we're wiping our face, look at our eyes and say, I'm more than the visual that's in front of me or the labels that I might carry inside of me about myself or others. I'm really this scintillating, active force, energy, light, or intelligence. And for me, that's a daily practice. By the way, you know, as I happen to mention it, every morning and evening, I finish brushing my teeth and I look in the mirror and I kind of look past my features. Just I look to my eyes and I suddenly have this awareness that I'm not the eyes, I'm looking through the eyes. And that that is a force, that is an energy, that is an intelligence. And and in the book, I invite the reader to do an exercise around it, to really see that I'm far more than what I think of myself to be. And I can do far more than I give myself credit for, because those things are beliefs that I picked up through osmosis, parents and society and school teachers and, and whatever, social conditioning. So it is an exercise I do every morning, every evening, you know, as I finished brushing my teeth at night, I look and I look past my features. And if I look at my eyes, and I don't know if you've ever done this, Jen, it's a very interesting process where you're looking at the eyes, you try to see both eyes. And of course, that's not possible. You discover that you have to move your awareness from left to right and right to left without blinking necessarily or without moving your head. And Suddenly, there's a very clear experience that this body is there, the eyes are there, and you're sort of behind the eyes, kind of like when you go to Disneyland, you know those cardboard pictures where there's maybe a farmer or an astronaut and you stick your face through it and your friend takes a picture of you? You have that feeling of yourself, that you're more than what you ever imagine yourself to be, and your pure energy pure intelligence and awareness. And that changes how I start my day and how I enter my sleep. So when you're looking in your eyes, one eye and then the other, it feels like it's kind of like you're getting in touch with what we and maybe pop culture would call your authentic self. But taking it another layer, it's getting in touch with your own eternal soul level intelligence. Does that ring true with what you're saying? I think so. I think you're connecting with authentic self, and that's a great way to say it. If you understand that authentic self is anything beyond any belief about ourselves, we look and we see like, I'm here, evergreen, ever willing to do what I have to do and what I can do and what I want to do. And I think that what we do as a result, what happens for me and to thousands of people who I've seen do the exercises it moves your center of identity to something greater than how you perceived yourself to be that day or that week or that year. Do you feel like there's an, a goal or an outcome where people will slowly move their identity to as they become more conscious? Because that's an idea I've heard presented again and again, as you become more conscious Maybe you become more focused on the collective, on community than on individualism, for example. It's true. So it's a sign of how we're maturing inward. Like when we're young, our identity is perhaps first our parents are our identity, you know, and eventually we come to identify us 
But how do we identify ourselves through our name? And then perhaps from our name, when we're teenagers, we really start to connect ourselves to our body, which is also true. You are your name and you are your gender. And then it becomes about your body broadly, not just male, female, but really about how I look and feel about my body. And then as we mature and, and we get into meaningful relationships, we start to identify ourselves past our body to something more essential, internal, meaningful. And that might be based on relationships and connection. And as we move even further and we really start entering the work field and we're working and excelling in our career also, then we start to identify ourselves with our potential, what we do, how we succeed. And we're still our gender, we're still our body, we're still our race and, and our religion and so on and so forth. But now we, we're more meaningfully identified to something deeper, inner within us, whether that's relationships, love, care, connection, and how well we risk. But beyond that is this other sense of identity. And what I'm practically breaking down for right now is that we're energy. Our body operates in energy, our mind operates with energy, our emotions move with energy. And if we could start to see that we're not this solid mass like we appear, that we are in flux, we are energy, and we access that energy, we increase that energy, you know what happens? Everything else changes. We then see, yes, I'm this body, but I'm more powerful than that. Yes, I have this belief system, but I can change that and I can be more powerful than that. And that's really what I had to do last year when I was going through, and there were so many struggles, really, friends passing, and, and there's just so many things going on. And I had to really remember that all of this is there and I can get through it because I'm far bigger than whatever I've ever measured myself to be. And the truth is, if you ask any listener out there or anybody anywhere, do you feel like you're living your full potential? However successful someone is, I talk to all kinds of CEOs and Academy Award winners and so on, they'll always say no. The reason is who we are inside is far bigger than what we've achieved. Yes, I love that quote. I'm going to type that. Okay, well, when I think about what you've been saying, who we are is far bigger than what we've achieved, I immediately shift to... I think I've gotten past achievement for achievement's sake. But for me, the next level where I'm at is it's this level of love and connection. It's a sharing of energy with other humans. And that's why I love podcasting so much and connecting with other people. What comes after that? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that that just continues to grow. What I think comes after that is Instead of feeling this sense of connecting with other people, one, ten, or a hundred, or however many we're connecting with, I think it becomes I am them as much as they are me. There's a mm -hmm. sense of communion and camaraderie. So there's differences, and yet there's this sense of oneness, this harmony. And that I think is potentially the next step because I certainly notice it coming out of meditation. You know, I enter meditation and I feel a connection to whatever's going on in front of me at some level, depending on the level of stress I got going on, I feel more disconnected some days than others. Some days I just feel even my own family feels like a burden, like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yes. And I know it just, 
it's a sign I'm tired and I need to rejuvenate. And so I close my eyes, even if it's for five minutes a day, and I close my eyes. And when I come out, I'm more connected, not because I did anything. It's just I rebooted my own awareness, my own energy level. But there are days, like when I go on a silence retreat, I come out and I feel connected to the environment, the nature, even people just passing by. It's not about words or anything, but on a vibe level, right? That's Mm -hmm. far bigger than what we say and what we do. Mm -hmm. But on that vibe level, you just connect and you feel a sense of camaraderie. And that camaraderie acknowledges the difference. And yet there's that sense that we're all in this together. And I think that's where the next stage comes in. And And so much of that for me is tied to keeping my vital force high. If if I can maybe express it metaphorically, we run every day or every other day regularly to charge our computer or our cell phone. If we see a 10% light on, we're going to look for the nearest socket or we shut extra apps, right? So that the battery Mm -hmm. doesn't get drained. Well, our mind... Our inner landscape is a hard drive with hundreds of files open, some conscious, some unconscious. I remember what happened yesterday and some other things that happened a month ago. I may not have it consciously there, but it's running in the background like a lot of open tabs, though I'm not working on it. They're there, slowing down the computer, draining the battery, somehow creating a glitch. And if there's too many files open, the computer crashes. And that's exactly what happens with our mind. And it's exactly what we have to do. We have to reboot. We have to re-energize. And we do it through coffee and sugar and adrenals and sacrificing sleep and some other stimulant. And that keeps us moving, but it doesn't rejuvenate us. It doesn't boost our inner vitality. And so things like meditation, breathing techniques, a little bit of awareness, self-awareness exercises, what they do and how I think the consciousness or this energy works is the minute you're willing to enter inward, it starts to show itself that much more. It's the more joyful you are, the more energy you have, the more energy you have, the more joyful you are. It's a virtuous cycle. And I think you said earlier, simply by connecting with it and recognizing it, we up-level it. Wow. Absolutely. And look, there's something under our nose also. That's the simplest. Like you're moving around in your day, you're sitting in a board meeting, you're dealing with someone who's negative, whose vibe is just pain and frustration and stress. What normally happens is we give up our power by 100% getting lost And what the other person is saying, doing, feeling, thinking, judging. We don't have any awareness about ourselves. We're just lost. Mm -hmm. We're listening to them. We're watching them. And as I said, if we look out of our eyes, we're consciousness. We're energy. So what I invite people to do is the more difficult the moment in front of you, just take a tiny incremental awareness about you. It could be about your body. could be about your breath could be about how you're holding your belly. It could be about how your mind is starting to race or your body temperature is going up. If you put your awareness, sometimes I just play with my feet in my shoes just to bring back some little bit of attention back to me while I have to listen. And that could be happening in this moment. You're listening to me. 
I'm talking to you, but my attention's on my feet. I'm grounding myself. And you could be doing that with something else or the listener is doing that for, for whatever they're doing. And what that does is when you bring a little attention to yourself, as I said, mind, body, breath, emotion, the environment in front of you, you don't absorb as much because everything is energy and you're absorbing the stress. And then we know everyone's had this feeling. You leave and you go, my God, I don't know what it is that person, they may mean well, but there's just so much negativity coming off of them. I'm drained after. We really say that I'm drained. So the way to conserve is pull back. And with that, if you take a conscious breath, conscious breath means awareness and up-leveling, energy going in through the breath and releasing what you don't need from the out-breath, you deflect the vibe coming at you. It's a simple tool, really, that you can do any time in the day, nobody knows you're doing it. If you're walking into a meeting and you know what you're headed for, it's not the most pleasant, it's your boss or whatever it is, you're judging yourself or you're afraid they're going to judge you. I just say, just walk your attention into your belly somewhere or on your chest or what you're holding in your hands. Feel the hands gripping it and breathe consciously in and out. Three, four, five breaths later, what we do is we recenter. We move away from the identity of what will someone think or feel? Is this good? Is this bad? The judgment. And we come back to that quiet place that we once knew as babies. We came into the world real and happy and centered. And that's our nature. And it never leaves us. We just have to go back to it again and again. I love that. I love how you bring us right back to the breath, the way we came into the world, breathing, and the way we'll go out, breathing. Powerful. (laughs) The first and last thing we do, right? Oh my gosh. Love that. Yes. (laughs) Well, let's have a break for our sponsor and then come back and talk about some of your intuitive moments in your life and some of your favorite things. Sure. In case you don't know by now, I'm a huge fan of BetterHelp, which is online counseling you can do over your phone. They give you the choice of text, chat, phone, or video chat. And I have loved it. My therapist, which was assigned by BetterHelp, is from Wisconsin. How cool is that? And she is certified in EMDR, a therapy I've always wanted to try. When it's time to do the call, I just set up my phone. I can see her. She can see me. It's just like we're in the room together, but it's so convenient to do it from my PJs if I want. If you don't like your counselor, you can switch at any time free of cost and it's available worldwide. So you can even do your therapy or counseling when you're traveling or out of town and stay consistent with your mental health. BetterHelp is a truly affordable option. And as a listener of Vibrant Happy Women, you can get an additional 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com happy and using the code happy at checkout. All you have to do when you sign up is fill out a questionnaire. They'll match you to the perfect counselor that you'll love. And then you get started. It's so easy. Go to betterhelp.com happy and enter coupon code happy to get started today. All right. Welcome back, Raj. So we're talking about your book, Vital Force. Did I say that right? Vital yes. Force. Yes. Oh, that's such a good title. <laughs> so speaking of the breath once more, how... Do we recognize the times we really do need to breathe and come back to that breath? So we need to breathe all the time, for sure. It's life itself. 
but I'm suggesting three discerning moments, conscious moments to breathe, to pause. This tiny habit can really give big results. Number one, first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, we've been sleeping, we haven't really been using our lung capacity, the mind has been processing at night, so lay in bed or sit up and do 10 long breaths in and out. Second place is when you arrive We don't even have to do it at the office, but just before lunch, I think it's a great place. Order your food. You're waiting to eat. Maybe you're waiting for friends to join you. Do 10 breaths in and out. It slows down the racing mind, the stress that we've accumulated from the morning. And we change the way we're going to digest food, absorb food. There's so much conversation around gut health and our inner well-being and physical health. So Nothing like that before a meal, at least before lunch, if not all meals. And then the last thing is before you go to bed, just you're ready to sleep. How we enter sleep will determine the quality of our sleep and no point in going to sleep with yada, yada, yada. I should have, I could have, I didn't, they should have, they didn't. Just days over. It's like a life being over. Let me breathe in and out and surrender into that sleep. It really changes the quality of our sleep, which means that much more refreshed we are in the morning. So certainly those three moments is a conscious place to breathe and nobody knows you're doing it. And brings that cortisol down. But in addition, of course, the beyond the body energy and consciousness that is happening. Love that idea. Yes. I breathe in the morning, but I haven't done it before bed. So I'm going to try that tonight. Thank you. Please. Share a time in your life when you were able to know something beyond your five senses. Maybe it's intuition or connecting with that energy. And you followed some of that wisdom and it turned out well. I think that for me, it really goes back to the first silence retreat that I had. As I mentioned earlier, I hadn't really considered an inner landscape or intuition or insight in any concrete way, of course, you know the words and you kind of think about it as, yeah, yeah, but nothing more than that. But then I realized there's a voice in me, no matter what's happening outside, it speaks loud and clear. And that was what happened for me in my first silence course. I couldn't explain everything that happened to me, but I knew, I knew that sooner or later, I would have to let go of criminal law and I would find another direction in my life. And the world would say, Raj, what are you doing? You've studied so much, including my parents and my brothers. You're working at the U.S. Attorney's Office. It's the job that you want. In three years, you can write your own ticket. You're at the LADA's office. You can do whatever you want after. I was licensed in California and New York. What do you really want? And you don't know where you're headed. And you have to remember, back in 89, the word yoga was... (laughs) <laughs> Juju, you know, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, it was. I remember. <laughs> That's funny. It was juju, yes. And people thought yoga is like sleeping on a bed of nails. And the thing <laughs> is, people didn't even know. If I said I'm Indian, the natural instinct was, well, you live in a tibi? And what do you mean? Because people hadn't really even heard of the country of India in the same way as we do today. Mm -hmm. It's only after the dot-com industry, people realized this whole Eastern and India and all of that. So Mm -hmm. yoga was like a foreign word. 
And a girl walking around saying, oh, let's breathe, let's meditate was even more foreign. (laughs) Yes, it was. That's so funny. I forgot about that. It's true because it's like going to Alaska and saying, hey, I got more snow for you. What the heck are you talking about? You know, (laughs) but I knew I knew that this is where I have to go. And on the surface level, there was no, quote, future in it, no career options. There was no respect in it, no recognition in it. There was no industry. Nothing was there. But I knew, I knew that that's where I have to go. And sooner or later, either the world will catch up to what I'm suggesting, or I will put a conversation on the table that makes the world move there. I don't know, or some combination thereof. So I've really had this clear awareness throughout my life since that time, which is to say, I got to listen to my gut. And it's very loud. All of us have it. We just let other people's loudness sort of drown it. And that was a moment for me that was a turning point, you know, because today yoga is what yoga is. It's like the word exercise. You know, it's as common as that. And meditation is as common as saying, let's relax. Let's have a vacation in a sense. And maybe breathing is still a little obscure out there, but fulfillment and really recognizing your own power only comes when, for me, when I'm willing to leap into the unknown. And I kind of always think to myself, there's no point in doing what I know I can do. I'll do it. It'll be good. It'll be successful. But I never feel empowered by it because I know I could do it all along. Mm -hmm. It's when I take a tiny stretch into, I'm not sure. I don't know how. I don't think I can. And I do it, even if I don't succeed, I feel really, truly empowered. Those are the intuit moments. They're not this sort of like lightning in the sky. For me, they amount to coming in front of a doubt within myself, and they come so often, or an uncertainty, and then willing to keep pedaling the bike to say, I'm going to do it anyway. And in that, I discover the universe speaking to me and the intuition arising in me and connecting to things that are bigger outside of my box. You mentioned that yoga used to be juju, and now yoga and meditation are common. I've heard it said that the earth is experiencing an awakening. Now, that could be juju as well, but what are your thoughts on the, (laughs) (laughs) the evolving consciousness of our collective planet? So to say, I think (laughs) you don't have a choice, you know. Mm -hmm. I definitely think it's happening. If we look, this idea of positive psychology, right, that didn't even exist, what, like 10, 15 years ago as a mainstream conversation. Neuroscience is trying to look at everything from that up leveling side, you know, a performance or fulfillment or happiness. And the amount of messaging and content that's out there around, you know, looking at the world from 10 positive things and perhaps the one negative versus the other way around is incredible. It's just really incredible. So I Mm -hmm. do think we're headed that way. And I think it's us, the as humanity, we're seeing what the globe is going through and what's really happening in the world. I, I mean, as technology is advancing, I feel like loneliness and disengagement and isolation and depression and violence for that matter 
is in a way increasing because on one level, we're disconnecting with our own inner essence or our humanity or with each other. And on another level, we're really doing what we can. Look look what you're doing. This podcast and what you do with your podcast is really saying, let's connect, let's share with awakening and more positivity rather than what's not working in the world. So I think it is a direction by our side and by the universe insisting that we evolve. So some of us are evolving and others are maybe regressing because of technology, connecting less. I don't know. I hadn't thought of that before. I think that what's happening is we're mistaking technology connection as human connection. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what's happening. You know, I'll tell you a real story. I was in Amsterdam, Holland. I was being interviewed and the reporter said, do you really think that we don't have connection with ourselves and each other? Because the truth is my son is barely 17 years old and he has some over 3,000 friends on his Facebook. And I said to the reporter, I said, well, that's true, but that's virtual. It's not human connection. A picture communicates a lot, but it doesn't communicate the negotiation that takes place, the human risk in connecting that takes place. And as we talked further, I said, look, everything boils down to a thumb up or a thumb down or, you know, I don't know, swipe left, swipe right. What are we really saying? If I say (laughs) to you, Jen, I don't like what you're wearing. It could be a simple thing. I don't have to look at you. It's so easy to click a button. But for me to say it in front of you, looking at you, to your eyes, feeling you, feeling myself, I think it's a lot different to say, Jen, you look better in white instead of red. You see, I would have to find a different way to say it because it makes me empathetic, sympathetic, understanding. I'm more present to myself and of course to you as I deliver a thumb down. Similarly, a thumb up. If you're at a restaurant and you want to say to the waiter or the waitress, thank you so much, you're so gracious, or you've been very helpful. That's very different from just sending a thumb up. So we're confusing social connection through media, through technology as human connection. Just because we add icons that are full of emotions doesn't mean we're connected to the experience of that emotion. It becomes autopilot at some point, you know? It's so true. And it reminds me of a study. I heard that scientists once had strangers stare in each other's eyes for a certain length of time, and they rated their before and after feelings of positivity for one another. And just by gazing in each other's eyes, they rated each other way more positively. I don't know if you've heard that before, but I think there's big power in the eye gaze like you're talking about. Absolutely. I actually do it in one of my risk workshops. It's very casual. But you start to see and they they really get engaged with this idea because we say it, you know, eyes are, quote, like the windows to the soul or the spirit or the essence of us without making it hokey pokey. They reveal your essence, your authentic self. And Mm -hmm. we look for a glimpse. But the moment we really connect to someone's eyes, we flutter away. We sort of make cutesy contact and oh, hi, you know, and touch and smile and that (laughs) nervous thing. And we flutter it away. But really, if we hold that connection just for a second, I'm not saying in an awkward way, but just for a second, and you nod your head to that person, 
something up levels. This is a way to connect back to you. You suddenly have awareness of you in that moment instead of being lost in the world. And you feel more positive. And it goes back to the energy conversation. The more you look inward, the more positive you are, Mm -hmm. more optimistic you feel. I love that. I'm going to try this out with my kids as soon as they get home from school. So you gaze in their eyes for a moment and then nod your head. Yes. Just gaze at them and nod your head. Like, you know, like you're loving them without the touch. There is a way to do that. And and how often doesn't that happen? Kind of a lot. I mean, I travel a lot and every so often I'll see someone, you know, at the airport and maybe they're just sitting there and you kind of look and they go their way and you go your way. But there's a feeling of I'm here and we're part of this together. And and the word is love because I don't have another word for it. And Mm -hmm. it's not in that strange way, but just this sense like, yeah, have a good day. And it's your heart saying it, not your head. Not like when the the, uh, stewardess on a flight says, have a great day. It's different from your mom saying, sweetheart, have a great day. There's the heart that speaks versus the head that speaks. And are there moments if you're at an airport like that looking at various people, are there some people where you automatically know they can connect with you at a greater energetic level, maybe because they're meditators themselves? Can you feel that kind of thing or not necessarily? I think we know. I don't even think it's, you know, it's very common. I don't think it's rare. Like if I think about it, okay, I was at an Apple store yesterday and there's like, I don't know, 15 people, you know, salespeople all dressed in blue in their little pants and whatever, with the earpiece and the iPad in their hand. And I walk in and you see that three or four people make eye contact with you. And they're sort of moving towards you to say, can I help you? But I, and you'll see, we do it all the time. We lean towards one more than the other. And in our mind, we also, I want him to help me, not her, you know, or something like that. That happens in a very quick way. Haven't you seen that? Like you go in a, I don't know, a department store and you need help. But someone comes to say, can I help you? You say, no, thanks. And then someone else comes and says, can I help you? And you say, yeah, do you know, blah, blah, blah. And we start talking immediately and having a question. That is a vibe. That is a connection that's unspoken. And it's on an energetic level somewhere, somehow. Wow. I had never thought of that. But what I have noticed is the women who listen to this podcast and who made the choice to attend the retreat, we all commented on, whoa, this was bigger than ourselves. It was meant to be. Essentially, I think we're connecting on that vibe level that you're talking about. Yes. There was a lot of similarity. So that word tribe that is overused these days, I think it really has to do with vibe, which is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Your tribe is your vibe or your vibe creates your tribe. 100%, you know, because as I said, like, we're more than this mass of matter. We really are an electrical energy field. People like to use the word aura and physicists will say there's an electric field around us. You can prove it through all kinds of this sort of complex photography, whether it's Krullian or I forget the different names of images that show an energy field. You know, if you take a picture of an orange, it is a vibrant golden aura. And if you take a picture of Drano, it's <laughs> dark and, and something else. And I'm seeing the can, you know? Yeah. And it's called cerulean photography? Exactly. Carillion photography. Carillion. Okay. And there's many such kind of different photos 
that show what's really going on on an energetic level. And <laughs> Drano is black. I never would have known, but it makes sense. <laughs> I love it. It's a container with red or whatever color it is. If you take a picture, the aura is very dark and the shape it takes is very interesting. It's kind of like how we put a warning sign with a skull and a cross on it, you know? Uh-huh. It kind of puts that sort of a leery image, I can say. And if you look at an orange or some fresh fruit or vegetable or a person for that matter, sometimes it's bright and they look like crystals. The shapes are more like snowflakes and geometry and harmony versus the Drano, which is not at all harmonious and it's chaotic and and the configurations are blobs. I don't know what to mm-hmm. say, but not so inviting. That's cool. I'm going to put a link to some kind of site explaining curly and photography, what you're talking about on our show notes, because it's super interesting. I've looked into it before, but I have to go Google now curly and photography in Drano. <laughs> I bet it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, this is amazing. I have so much food for thought to think about, and I know our listeners do as well. Let's jump over and talk quickly about some of your favorite things, your favorite book. My favorite book is The Little Prince. Mm, That's good. I forget the French author's name, Jean something or another. I love it because it's a children's book, but it has all the lessons for an adult that are timeless in my mind. You know, it really invites us to go back to our innocence and our simplicity and our joy and our playful side. So that's my favorite book. And your favorite easy meal. I practice what I call Advaitya kitchen. So Advaitya is a Sanskrit term meaning oneness, that at the the core of us, we are one and that outside we are dual, duplicity. That's actually the sort of the basis of what I talk about and teach. And so I have the same thing in my kitchen, meaning I have my Instapot. I put everything I want that I think is healthy or nutritious in it, pour some water, some spices, and close it. And it comes out as a stew. So that's my favorite meal, the one pot meal that comes out of my Instapot. And do you put foods in based on instinct or just what you have (laughs) or both? Well, it's both. But I, I do have this notion of color, like the white light reflects all the colors. So internally is oneness, this idea of Advaitya, the white light. And outwardly, it's all the variety and and the spice of life, all the beauty Mm. we see. So I apply the same rule with my food. Food is food, but I want color and it keeps me healthy that way. So I'll make sure there's red and yellow and green and white and every color. And so I I tell people, make sure your food is a rainbow Mm -hmm. of color, invite it. And so it's pleasing to the eyes. It's pleasing to the taste, the tongue, and also healthy for the body. And you'll see today, most people's food is white. Pasta, pizza, cheese, more cheese, noodles. (laughs) And occasionally (laughs) there's a red, which is a tomato sauce, but otherwise it's all white. And in the long run, and it shows up, you know, when you're like 50, then you say, well, I spent half my life giving up on my health. So now I got to spend the other half gaining it back. a simple rule, you know, rainbow of color on your plate. And that's Mm -hmm. what I do for my food. Well, I have to give a shout out to my husband. He follows that rule explicitly. He always (laughs) makes sure there is a rainbow on our table. And so I'm going to tell him 
you would like that. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's great. No. Yeah, it really is. And I didn't have to prepare it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's double good. Yes. Everyone, we're going to have links to Rajshree's book and her the curling photography and everything else at jenriday.com slash 185. Now, Raj, what does it mean for you to be a vibrant, happy woman? Willingness to risk. Ooh. It is, it's just that thing for me is that I'm willing to risk instead of moving away. I talk about this in the book quite a lot, which is, are we living our life to be happy? Which means we make choices, we make decisions based on, I want to be happy. And so I'm going to lean in that direction versus, am I choosing, deciding because I want to make sure I'm not unhappy. They sound like two same things, but they're completely different. In one, we're in resistance, we're in avoidance, we're running away. And in the other, we're leaning in. So for me, a happy, vibrant woman is the willingness, the readiness to risk. Mm -hmm. Pedal the bike. Yeah, lean in, keep pedaling and risk. Leaning in, I've never thought of that word as risking, but it is. Being really vulnerable. Yeah. And a a challenge from you to our listeners, Raj. My challenge is this. Every single day, tell yourself when you go to bed, however the day was, I've done the best I could. It's the end of a life. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to make it a new day, which means you do one new thing a day. It could be the tiniest of thing, but do one new thing a day and do that new thing in the space where you feel the most resistance. Oh boy. <laughs> dance you feel the dance most with resistance. the fear. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. you feel the most it, resistance. Okay. Yeah. So Do give one us one a- new thing. And it could be simple. So, like, you arrive at the office and you say hello to this X set of people, but somehow you don't look to another set. You don't make eye contact. You don't quite give the same smile. You wish they don't come in front of you. You want to avoid them. I will say, nope. I'm going to go into the office today and I'm going to say, hey, how are you? Want to grab a coffee? If I see them going on a coffee break, instead of saying to myself, I'm not going to that area right now. I don't want to deal with that person. I'm going to go there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's brave. That's a big risk. (laughs) It's something. Say hi to the people in the elevator with a big smile because we tend to like in the morning you get in, we just stand there. It's like, who needs that? Just Good morning. How are you? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen you before. Just that is enough of a thing because the minute we do that, you see that energy goes up. Your internal dialogue somehow changes and you feel like, okay. And then you take a little bigger risk and you take a little bigger risk. And before you know it, you're sort of happy, vibrant mm-hmm. self. Yes. And you write a book. <laughs> like vital force. <laughs> yeah. That was the one that you resisted for a long time, but I'm so glad you did it because I've loved everything we talked about today. Thank you so much. Just the whole book's title, in case the listener's looking for it, it's The Power of Vital Force. And oh. I don't know if Vital Force would show up itself or not, but it's The Power of Vital Force. Thank you. The Power of Vital Force. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I loved the energy we got to exchange through this interview. I felt it. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much. Before I go deeper on my thoughts on this interview, I want to share that Rashri has a free bonus gift for you. Here's how you get it. 
you go to Rajshree Patel, R-A-J-S-H-R-E-E-P-A-T-E-L.com and look for where it says bonus gift. Then you're going to enter that you listened to her on the Vibrant Happy Women podcast. She's going to give you an 11 piece course valued at $525 just for listening to this episode. Isn't that so cool? I really loved this interview and I wrote down so many nuggets of wisdom while I was talking to her, such as energy equals movement. Everything is governed by something greater than the five senses. Your vibe creates your tribe. I love that one. Speaking of that one, I I want to explain what I meant when I said I was very surprised and so was everyone else when we got together for the Vibrant Happy Women Retreat because I immediately felt like, whoa, these are women I would definitely choose to spend a lot of time with and become very close to if they lived in my neighborhood. And now here we all are in one place. Well, in the interview, Raj explained that that's because we are all on a similar vibration or have a similar vibe, a similar energetic level or consciousness. And then coming together, we could resonate with each other and feel that in each other. (laughs) So first point I want to make is if you haven't signed up for the Vibrant Happy Women Retreat yet, get your ticket now. They are going fast. You can do it at jenriday.com slash retreat. The second point I want to make is if you want to attract the ideal friend, you need to be the ideal friend. If you want to attract an amazing tribe, you need to raise your vibe. Be the friend you want to have in the world. Or if you're looking at your partner, be the partner you want to have, and you're going to attract more of that similar energy or that similar vibe back from your partner, or even attract a different partner if that's what the universe has in store for you. So do what it takes to have the vibe that will attract your tribe. How do we do that? Well, we learned in this interview the importance of breath, continually waking up and doing those 10 deep breaths, doing it at lunch, doing it at night before bed. And I think it goes beyond that. It's really taking that time to do your morning meditation, to do your morning ritual. And I always love to start mine out with the B-O-L-D meditation, the bold meditation I've shared before. I believe that that is best accomplished through number one, breathing, slowing down my system, deepening the breath, B for breath, O for observe, observe what's happening in my body, in my thoughts, in my feelings. That leads to L for let go, let go of any thoughts, feelings, and sensations in my body that don't serve, and D, dialogue right there, dialogue with that higher self, the universe, that intelligence, God, whatever you call it, and finding out what is my next best step? What do I need to know today? Who can I show love to today? These are the things that build a foundation of joy. And not only that, they help our energy to vibrate, to resonate at a higher vibrational level. And then we attract even more amazing people and connections into our lives. We're increasing the conductivity of our energetic current and decreasing the resistance. Wow, I'm going deep. I'm expanding. I'm on my soapbox and I will stop now and pull back, but just say, 
Listen to this one again. Let it sink in. Remember, your vibe attracts your tribe. And once more, definitely join us at the Vibrant Happy Women Retreat if you can, so you can feel what I'm talking about in terms of your vibe attracting your tribe. You will love the women who are attracted to that retreat and you will resonate with them. I thank you so much for listening. I love you guys. Even though I haven't met all of you, I feel that resonance. I feel like we are collectively doing good things in our lives, trying to resonate at a higher vibration, higher energetic level, decreasing our resistance and bringing more light into the world. Thank you so much for listening today. And I definitely wish you a high energy, vibrant, happy, love-filled week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Vibrant Happy Women podcast at www.jenride.com. 